Good morning. Hey, um, a couple of announcements I want to make really quick. First of all, if you're visiting here at True North, we're glad you're here. There's a visitor's card in your bulletin. If you could take that, fill it out, throw it in the blessings box. And the blessings box is where we take our offering. Um, we don't normally pass the, uh, the plate. Uh, we put it in the box. And uh, those offerings are used in multiple ways. And uh, it's just an incredible thing uh, to be able to give back to God. But as a visitor, what we'd like you to put in the blessings box is your visitor card. It's really simple, okay? Um, I want to make one more announcement. That is in, in two weeks, we've got a baptism service, okay? And that baptism service is going to be outside at the Guy's house on County Road 13. And uh, we'll make some announcements uh, next week about how to handle that. But here's the deal. Last year, we had all these sign-up places and parking here and there and there. This is what we want you to do. Just pull up to the Guy's, you know, carpool if possible, pull up the Guy's. If you're dropping off stuff for the lunch afterwards, drop it off. And then we're going to do, um, what, what do you call when you drive somebody else's car for them? Oh, valet parking. That sounds really sophisticated, doesn't it? We're going to valet park for you. So you can go ahead and get out. We'll take care of your car for you. If it's a really nice car, we'll take care of your car. No, I'm just um, We'll take care of parking the car for you because we're going to park at a crossroads, somebody else's house, down, and we're going to take care of it for you and we'll bring it back for you. Uh, or if you're like, nah, we got it, we'll, we'll tell you at that point in time where you can park. Uh, so don't worry about signing up, just show up. And uh, what a blessed time. And more importantly, for those of you that are like, I can't wait to get baptized, I want to get baptized, but you haven't talked to me about it yet, or Pastor Dan, please talk to us today. Let us know today so we know for sure who all is being baptized. Uh, it's just sort of one of those things. We'll just start picking people out of the crowd. You know, been baptized? Come on, Doug, all right. Um, we want to be able to celebrate in an incredible way on that Sunday. And uh, the last thing I'll announce is what's going on next Sunday. Um, I, I'm excited about this, not just because I also work with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, but because of uh, the opportunity, that, again, we have to hear from another person. Uh, next Sunday, um, Coach Les Steckel, um, he's the president of FCA. He was an NFL coach for 22 years. He's a retired Marine. Um, boy, when he talks, he, you listen. And uh, I've enjoyed over the past uh, 10 years being a part of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And every time I've gotten to met Coach Steckel at Kansas City, um, what a joy to be around him. Now, here's something you need to know about this man. Um, not only, you know, besides being an NFL coach and a retired Marine, um, he lives it. I'm, I'm amazed. You know, there's probably a thousand people that work in the ministry of FCA across the globe. He calls every person on staff on their birthday to wish him happy birthday. I'm thinking about that. That's probably three, four calls a day, more or less, you know, averaging out. But he doesn't miss anybody, you know. He called Jenny on her birthday and said, how you doing? How are things going in your office? And so forth. It was, it's just neat to know that somebody that high, you know, you're the president. No, I'm, I'm here with you. You're, you're my brother, my sister in Christ. And, and that's how he treats you. And so I really appreciate that about Coach Steckel. He's here next week because we have this big banquet next Saturday night for FCA. See me if you want to know more about that. Uh, but on Sunday morning, he's sticking around. He's going to come, and he's going to share with you on next Sunday morning. So we are very blessed to have a lot of different people come in and speak. And so uh, I want to encourage you to come back next week to hear Coach Steckel speak as well. Uh, grab your Bibles. Turn to the book of Psalm, Psalm 73. You're sitting there going, wait, 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 this is D90X, right? Discipleship, 90 days, whatever that means, I don't know. Um, and we're going to Psalm? I thought we were 
looking at the disciples and uh, going through the book of Mark, which we are. We are. As you're turning to Psalm 73, uh, here's the deal. God's Word from front to back is our direction. And what we're going to learn in Psalm 73 then will take you into the New Testament. Um, but there's a psalm that I've read before. <clears throat> I've probably done a devotional thought on it. I've probably shared it before in a sermon. But I want to take another look at this psalm because it's, it's written by uh, a gentleman named of Asaph. And Asaph was an organizer. He was the leader of the temple choir. He was like the worship leader for David. So you can imagine that high position in the temple, being the worship leader for King David, who's writing all these psalms and songs, and probably was as well served under Solomon. And in this psalm, uh, Asaph tells it like it is. Don't you love it when God's people get honest and get real? They don't put on their churchy face, their churchy clothes. They come around and say, this is how I'm feeling. This is what's going on in my life. And this is what he does in Psalm 73. And I like that. He's honest about himself, what he sees around him. And I think sometimes as Christians, we don't want to honestly express ourselves or our pains to God or to one another as we should. And in this psalm, there's a starting point, right? It's always verse 1, starting point. But I want you to understand the starting point because sometimes when you see somebody writing, you're saying, maybe they're, maybe they're not really good with God. Maybe their relationship with God isn't there. I want to tell you right now, for uh, Asaph, it, it was good. It was good. And he tells us that right from the start. Look at Psalm 73, verse 1. Truly, God is good to Israel, to those whose hearts are pure. He just starts it off. Hey, let me tell you something about my God. He's good. God is good. I just want to make sure it's all clear before I start writing this, Okay. Because I'm going to say some things that you're going to question. I want you to know God is good. No matter what happens, Jude, two surgeries, I, I'm going to tell you the same thing I told my son after his second surgery and second fracture. I'm out of words. I don't know what else to say. Pain is pain and this stinks. You know what, you know what Colin said to me? It's all right, God's got a plan. I, I couldn't even get it out of my mouth, but he said, God's got a plan. It's all good. God is good, right? No matter the pain, no matter what goes through, God is good. And he proclaims it. He's doing well. <coughs> Excuse me, but it gets to a point where all of a sudden in his life, though, something seems to be descending, something going down. So let's read this. Verse 2. But as for me, God's good, God's good. But, but as for me, I came so close to the edge of the cliff, my feet were slipping and I was almost gone. So he gives us this picture as if he's on this cliff, on this edge, and his feet are slipping, he's about ready to go over. That's a very dangerous place to be. You know, if you go to Cedar Point, what do we have? We have, a, we have these railings, we have signs, we have yellow lines that you have to stand behind, right? And all these warnings, stay back, stay back, dangerous, you know, and you get all this. Now, if you go out west, and you'll go maybe to the edge of a canyon or somewhere, there's no signs, there's no railings. There's no yellow lines saying don't take that extra. This is where this has got to kick in up here, the, the intelligence and the smart to realize if I get too close, my feet might slip. I might lose ground and I might plunge to the bottom. Okay. And here in this psalm, we hear him saying, listen, I'm on the edge. I'm to the point where I'm about ready to lose it. Why is that? Look at verse 3. 
For I envied the proud when I saw them prosper despite their wickedness. They seem to live such a painless life. Their bodies are so healthy and strong, and they aren't troubled like other people or plagued with problems like everyone else. They wear pride like a jeweled necklace, and their clothing is woven of cruelty. I love this, how the New New Living Translation puts it. These fat cats have everything their hearts could ever wish for. A great translation. They scoff, they speak only evil. In their pride, they seek to crush others. They boast against the very heavens. Their words strut throughout the earth. And so the people are dismayed and they're confused and they're drinking in all these words. Verse 11. Does God realize what's going on, they ask? Is the Most High even aware what's happening? Look at these arrogant people enjoying a life of ease while their riches multiply. Was it for nothing that I kept my heart pure and I kept myself from doing wrong? All I get is trouble every day long. Every morning brings me pain. If I'd really spoken this way, I would have been a traitor to your people. So I tried to understand the wicked, why the wicked prosper. But what a difficult task it is. Do you hear his heart? As he's asking these questions, he's observing the wicked, and he's wondering, why do they get rewarded? Why do bad people get good things? And why do the good people get bad things? But you know what the problem is here? Because right now we're all thinking the problem is that the wicked seem to prosper, right? The problem is that he's jealous of the wicked. And this almost causes him to slip. It's not that the danger is there. It's that he's close enough to it that he's envious about it, he's jealous about it, and that is what's about ready to put him over the edge. He's comparing his health, his wealth, to their health and their wealth. And he's getting a little jealous. He's become resentful that God would allow such a thing. Pause for a second. Think about this. Isn't that the way it is with us sometimes? I mean, maybe it's not the theological questions we ask. Maybe it's like, well, I really want to understand the Trinity. Or end times. Are you post-millennial, pre-millennial, amillennial, milli-milli-millennial? I don't know. You know, you just, I don't know. Let's just talk about this. Sometimes that's not the issue with us, is it? Maybe that's not what's bothering us. Maybe what's bothering us is that God's not treating us the way we think he should be treating us. Maybe that's a problem. How come other people seem to be doing better than me? How come those people don't experience the loss that I've experienced? I'm struggling to make a living. I'm struggling in this relationship. I'm struggling to be successful. So God, how come they get to be successful? And they're wicked people. I'm a righteous person. At least I'd like to think I'm a righteous person. But I'm not succeeding. I don't have the good things happening to me. It doesn't seem right because I love you, God, and they don't. So our problem, guess what our problem is? Jealousy. Envy. You know what that is? That's criticizing God. You know what that is? Three-letter word, starts with S, ends with N, and I'm in the middle. Sin, yeah. What's the advantage of being a Christian if those who aren't Christians get what they want? We start asking ourselves that question. And when I don't get it, matter of fact, sometimes I feel like I'm being punished for trying to do good. Do you ever feel that way? Do you ever feel like, okay, 
I saw that athlete over there break the rules. He didn't get suspended. So why should I keep it clean? I saw that person at work cheat on this and they didn't get busted by the boss. As a matter of fact, they put their numbers up to make them look good. They didn't get punished for that. But I'm doing it the right way and I'm getting in trouble. So why not cheat? Why not break the rules? We start entertaining those kind of ideas, right? We begin to ask the question, is Christianity really worth it? Really, is it really worth it to be a Christian? Look at verse 13. It says, um, was it for nothing that I kept my heart pure? And I kept myself from doing wrong? I mean, is this really worth it? I mean, all I get is trouble all day long. Every morning brings me pain. We step back and we say, man, Christianity sure is tough. But see, it's here at this low point. Check this out. It's at this low point in his life. Because he started off. How do you start off? God is good, right? Let me hear you say God is good. God is is what? Oh, he's good. We've established that. Asaph has established that. He's almost ready to slip. He said, okay, but let me tell you about my descent. Let me tell you why I'm so envious, why I'm so jealous, why I don't like what's going on. So he's on this descent right now, okay? But then he stops. And look what he says. There's this turning point, okay? There's a responsibility he understands that as a child of God, in the midst of my envy, in the midst of my tough times, as a child of God, guess who I am accountable to? God, right? But guess who I'm also accountable to? My Christian brothers and sisters. In spite of what's going on in my life, I'm still accountable to God, and I'm accountable to you. If I understand this correctly, My relationship with God absolutely matters, but my relationship with God matters to you too. So if you see me slipping and sliding, what does that tell you about the relationship with God that I have and that you should have? Not good, right? I know better. As much as I know that might be pleasurable, I know better. I shouldn't be doing this. One, because it's a sin against God, but two, it's a sin against you as well. Verse 16 and 17 comes this turning point, because look what he said in 15. If I had really spoken this way, I would have been a traitor to your people. See, if, I, if I'm really going to slip and slide all the way down, guess who I'm a traitor to? To you, God, and to all of you. Whew, catch your breath, catch your breath. Okay, we were on this descent, now we're going to stop and even out because here's the turning point. Everybody has a turning point in their life. And Asaph says, here's my turning point. Look at verse 16. So I tried to understand why the wicked prosper, but what a task it is. Then one day, I went to your sanctuary, O oh God. And I thought about the destiny of the wicked. So Asaph says this, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm I'm struggling, so here's my turn. I'm going to stop. I'm going to go meet with you, God. I'm going to your sanctuary. I need time with you. I need time alone. I need to, to pray with you. I need to speak to you. I need to hear from you. I need to go to your church. I need to, God, I need to spend time with you. And I need to get a new view on the wicked. See, the wicked I'm envious of. But I need a new view. God, give me a new view of the wicked. Look what he says. Verse 18. Truly, you put them on the slippery path and send them sliding over the cliff to destruction. In an instant, they're destroyed. They're swept away by terrors. Their present life is only a dream, and then it's gone when they awake. When you arise, O Lord, you'll make them vanish from this life. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. God's saying... You're not on the edge about ready to perish. They are. They're the ones that are on the slippery slope. They're the ones that are going to die and spend eternity in hell. They're the ones that are facing eternal destruction, not you. 
See, instead of me being jealous of the wicked, you know what I should be doing? I should be hurting for them. I should be praying for them. I should look across the field, look across my office, look across wherever I am, look across the gas station, look across the, the store that I'm walking in, look across the sidewalk, wherever it is, look across and see, look at them and say, they seem to be prospering, that wicked person. And one, I don't even know where they stand with Christ, but do they know Christ? What is their eternal destination? Instead of being jealous of them, I need to be praying for them. When I'm looking on TV and I'm seeing people doing things that are so ungodly. And I'm right there saying, this, oh man, they're just sick. I should be sitting there saying, oh no. Their eternal destruction is separate from God. Instead of being jealous of them, I need to pray for them. I need to, I need to hurt for them. I shouldn't be excited about them. I shouldn't be excited about their destination. I should be hurting for them. Look at verse 21. Then I realized how bitter I'd become, how pained I had been by all I'd seen. That's so foolish and arrogant. I, you know, I must have seemed like a senseless animal to you, God. Yet I still belong to you, and you're holding my right hand. Isn't that cool? He comes to this turning point where he says, I had the wrong view of people. I had the wrong view of you, God. God, I must have looked like an animal to you. Crazy animal. But yet you still love me and you still take my right hand and you hold me. He comes to this realization that no matter what's going on in his life, God loves him. No matter how ugly and how messed up it was, God loves him. Look at verse 24. You'll keep on guiding me with your counsel, leading me with a glorious destiny. Whom have I in heaven but you? I desire you more than anything on earth. My health may fail. My spirit may grow weak. But God remains the strength of my heart. And he's mine forever. Verse 27. But those who desert him will perish. For you destroy those who abandon you. But as for me, how good it is to be near God. I've made the sovereign Lord my shelter. And I'll tell everyone about the wonderful things you do. Did you catch that? Now did you see his descent? Start off, God's good, right? But he had that little descent where he's like really confused on how to view life. And then he had his turning point, and God gave him a new view because he went and met with God, and now he looks at things differently, and he's back on the ascent now. Now, I'm sharing that with you because if we want to work on our discipleship, if we want to draw near to Jesus Christ, let's look at godly people and see how they handle life. Okay? In verse 28, you know, there was that response. I'm going to tell others, man, I'm tasting the joy, and, uh, and I know that I'm near to God and that feels good. But as for me, how good it is to be near God. I've made the sovereign Lord my shelter. I'll tell everyone about the wonderful things you do. Now let me tell you something. In this journey, okay, let's just pause for a second, okay? If you were a soft, where are you at? Are you on the edge? I mean, you can say God is good, but you're sort of on the edge and you're sort of hitting that descent. Maybe you're in the middle of the descent. Maybe you're in your turning point right now. Maybe last week was a great week for you, and you're just like, you know, last Sunday, I just needed to let go of things to God. That was your, maybe a turning point for you. Maybe your turning point was a while ago. Maybe you're on the ascent right now saying, you know what? I've never felt closer to God than I've ever felt before. I'm so pumped for him. I can't wait to tell the people about Jesus. I can't wait for the next thing that I get to do for him. Where are you at on this journey? Where are you at? You know, I was on the way to Michigan this week, and uh, I had to make a trip up to Adrian. And I saw some crazy things one morning. I had three trips. The third day I was on the way up there. And uh, as I'm driving, 
And it's about 8, sorry, 7.45, 8-ish around there, and I'm on my way up. And, uh, and I'm driving, and I saw three things that just made me think, what is going on? Okay, it was almost like the descent, turning point, and then ascent for me, okay? As I'm driving along, first thing I do is I see this guy walking out in the middle of his yard with just his underwear on and a shirt. I know, can I say that in church? Okay, and I'm sitting there, I'm going, Colin, Colin, you you didn't see, did I just, was I the only one? That was strange, okay? What is he doing walking around in the middle of his yard the way he was, okay? I was beyond your house, it wasn't Nate, okay? I was further down the road. I was into Michigan, we'll put it that way, okay? Okay. And then as I get going a little bit further, a couple miles further down the road, I see this truck driver driving, he's doing this. And I'm going, what is that? Now, usually truck drivers, you're doing this, right? Honk the horn, and he's, no idea. No, maybe he was listening to walk like an Egyptian, but he couldn't do that. So I don't know, he's doing this. And so I'm going, that's just weird, God. What is, what, what was that all about? And, and, and then I started, you know, you know how your mind just sort of regresses and just think, okay, am I on a weird trip this morning? It, what am I facing going into Michigan today? And uh, a lot of you who are huge Buckeye fans, you say that every day, right? Just kidding. Okay. Again, grew up in Indiana. Don't hate me. Um, so then, then the third thing comes. I mean, I'm almost pulling into Adrian. And this guy driving a van, as I'm getting closer, I see him do this. I'm thinking, did I have a sign in the front of my vehicle that just give this guy a weird look, do something crazy? And I'm going, okay, no pants man, Egyptian dude, thumbs up, I'm okay. And, and, and I share that with you because to me it was, it was very humorous and weird and crazy that morning. And I'm thinking, God, is there something... Is there a reason for this? There's got to be a reason for this, right? Let me tell you something. I don't think there is a reason for it. There's no reason for that story. I didn't even need to share that this morning, but here's the thing. There's times in life when you see things, I can't believe what I'm seeing in my life right now. This doesn't make sense, but I guess I'm okay. And, and that's what I was sort of feeling that day. It was like, I don't understand why things happen the way they do in my life. I don't understand why I see certain things. It doesn't make sense to me, but you know, in the end, God is good. It's all right. And I thought about that. There's, there's no way I can be like Asaf. I, there's no way I can be like a disciple. There's no way I can do this in my life and say, God's good, if I don't know God. You know what I'm saying? There's no way I can move forward in my relationship with loving God and loving others unless I have developed that relationship with God. Here's the, everybody says, we've reached it when we've been able to, when we can love God. You know what? No, no, no. We've reached it when we've been able to love others. I think that's a lot easier than this. Wouldn't you agree? I, I think I struggle sometimes with loving certain people, but I can love God. I mean, there's, there's not many times in my life where I can sit back and say, I was really mad and I hate God, okay? I, I can't pinpoint those moments, but I can pinpoint people who I've struggled with I can't do this without a solid of loving God. I've got to learn to really love God. I've got to really get this right so that I can get the loving others part right. And here's the deal. 
unless you see God, unless you turn to God, unless you really work on getting to know God, you're not going to get to know him. It's like if you're out in the water and you're drowning and somebody throws a life preserver to you. If you're not looking for the life preserver, you can't grab on. And you can't hold a hand if you're not looking and reaching. You know, somebody's walking along saying, hey, why don't you hold my hand? If I'm not looking, I'm not reaching. There's no way I'll ever hold their hand. I've got to be looking for it. I've got to be reaching. I've got to do my part in seeking God. It just doesn't happen. So here's the deal. Uh, I was thinking about this. There's, there's sort of two selves. There's sort of the task-oriented self, and there's the internal reflective self that I believe is part of who I am. And typically, my task-oriented external self rules, okay? Because it's screaming, get it done, get this uh, to-do list accomplished. I've got to make sure I get this done today. Okay, I've, I've got a lot of that going on for me personally. My external tends to rule. My internal reflective self doesn't usually say, today I'm just going to sit around for two hours and reflect on life and think about what I should do. I don't do that, okay? Let me ask you this. When you wake up in the morning, what wakes you up? It's called a what kind of clock? Alarm clock, right? I want you to think about this. And I was reading somewhere and and it made me start thinking, I don't like that anymore. Why do we call it an alarm clock? Right? Sound the alarm. When do we sound the alarm? When something bad's about ready to happen, right? So let's set my alarm clock to wake me up in the morning for something bad that's coming, right? And I was sort of thinking that through, and not to be humorous, but really think about it. It seems like such a negative thing. Why don't we give it a different name? How about an opportunity clock? I'm going to set my opportunity clock tomorrow. So when I wake up, guess what I get to do today? Or my new day clock. I'm going to set my new day clock because it's a new day, right? It's not an alarm to all the things that are come my way and really mess me up. It's a new day. It's an opportunity to do what today for God? Now, I know I'm putting a spin on there and you're saying, Rex, no, I don't like that, okay? That's not, that's not going to work for the bumper sticker today. I'm not looking for a bumper sticker. I'm trying to figure out how I can get better at loving God. Because in eighth grade, I sat at a camp and I was at the back of the camp. But even though I grew up in church, I knew everything about the church and that, I had no clue how to love God. And when a speaker was up front telling about, well, you got to love God, I'm sitting there going, I grew up in a church and I have no idea how to love God. And I had struggled with that. You know, and I was thinking about when that alarm clock goes off in the morning, I wake myself up, and what do, I, what, do you, what do you do? Where am I supposed to go? What am I supposed to be doing today? And your mind just starts rushing, right? And it's usually not in a good direction. And this morning, when my opportunity clock went off, you know, I had the opportunity to hit the snooze. snooze. Not just 15 more minutes, right? Spiritually speaking, we, we need to seek answers they're going to help us spiritually, right, so that we can do things physically better. We, we become external task-oriented and trying to do something, but when it comes to spiritual answers, spiritual answers, spiritual answers, part of it is just being, not doing. For me to love God, it's not about me having to be something it's, or do something. It's me having to just be something. I can't make God love me any more or less by the things that I do. So I've got to work on who I am and what I'm being here. I need to reflect on that. And like Asaf, you know, when we face tough times and tough questions on a daily basis, the question is, is your spiritual walk strong enough right now? Are you close enough to God that you can make that turning point and start the ascension up into that relationship that it needs to be? All this makes sense, because as you read the gospel counsel, we've been reading Mark, 
it helps you to understand how the disciples were able to journey and become spiritually stronger because their habits of who they were drew them near to Jesus. They were able to make the ascent because of who they were in spending time and not what they were doing. They had these great habits. I heard another pastor comment on the value of spending time alone with God, and I don't think it's any mistake as you talked about prayer today because those are the two things I really want us to hit, solitude and prayer. Let me hear you say solitude. Let me hear you say prayer. Those are two things I really want to hit on because I don't think we do enough of it. You know, we want to be like the disciples. I want you to think about this. This is what I heard this pastor say. Okay, I'm going to try to think through this the way he did. He said this, if you took the number of hours that the disciples spent with Jesus, okay, over that three-year span, let's break it down, three years, 52 weeks in the year, correct? How many hours in the week do you think those disciples spent with Jesus? Waking hours, okay? So let's say 15 hours awake, but let's only go four days out of the week and not a full seven days, because maybe some of those disciples had family, they take off and here, there, to go see their family, come back, you know. So let's just go only four uh, days, multiply that by 15 hours, okay? Multiply that by the 52 weeks times three, because that's how many years, okay, that they ministered. You get a grand total of 9,360 hours with Jesus. You want to know why the disciples were the disciples that they were? 9,360 hours. And that's going on the minimum side, okay? Now, I want you to think about us now, okay? We want to be disciples like Jesus. Okay, if I wake up and I just spend one hour, okay? That's, a, that's sort of big for us, right? If I just took one hour out of my morning just to pray and read God's Word, and I did that all week long, and then I went to church every single Sunday for a year, okay? And I multiplied that out in the same way that I multiplied out the disciples. You know how long it's going to take me to get 9,360 hours with Jesus? It's going to take me 23 years. They did in three years. But if I keep it at one hour every day plus church, it's going to take me 23 years to spend the number of hours with Jesus that they spent. Well, wait a minute. I don't spend an hour with God every day reading and praying. I, maybe five minutes here and there. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm not at church on every single Sunday. Oh boy. Well, let's just do this. Let's say one and a half hours a week of your time with God. Okay? Because you weren't in there every single morning and you weren't there every single Sunday. So let's just go, let's, let's break it down and say one and a half hours every week, 52 weeks in a year. Okay. How long is it going to take me to get 9,360 hours with Jesus? It'll just take you 120 years. That's all. So why do we think that I can get away with going to church one Sunday every so often and, and getting God's Word on occasion and be like the disciples? I'm not even coming close to the time they spent with Jesus. There's a reason they were who they were and what they did. Because of the time they spent with Jesus. Listen, if I want to know Jesus, I want to draw closer to God, I want to have faith like those in the biblical times, I want to be like the guys that were walking in here, guess what i got to do? i got to spend time with them. I've got to spend time with them. I've got to draw near to Him. Okay, and again, it's not about clocking in my hours so that I can reach that. It's not becoming a legalistic thing of, I've got to do this, this, and this, or that. The reason that that pastor shared that, and the reason I'm sharing that with you is because I, who am I to fool myself thinking that I can achieve something if I don't put time into it? 
how can I get to know my wife better if I only spend five minutes a day with her? I'm going to spend an hour and a half this week with my wife. That's it. I won't see her any more than that. How good of a relationship do you think her and I will have? Not good, huh? So when the opportunity clock goes off in the morning, let me hear you say opportunity. Don't anybody patent that. If you do patent that and you sell opportunity clocks, 10% to the church, please. That's all I got to say, okay? When the opportunity clock goes off in the morning, I want you to focus on a few new habits, okay? I want you to focus on a few new habits. Let's do this together. Let me hear you say solitude. Sounds like punishment, doesn't it? Think about that. The term you use here in the prison movies, let's put them in solitary confinement, right? Prisoners don't like solitary confinement. They consider it torture. Why is that? Because we don't like being alone, right? You tell, a teenage, you tell a teenage girl that you can't text, you can't call anybody, you can't Facebook, you can't instant message anybody for the next week, would that drive you a little bit crazy? Thank you for being honest with me. It would drive you crazy. It's like World War III starting declared in your house. I'm sorry, you can't do that. Why? Because you like communicating with others, don't you? We like to socialize. We like to communicate. There's a reason why social media is exploding, because people like to socialize in various ways, right? And if I said, let's work on solitude, that is so anti-cultural for us, isn't it? Jesus modeled teamwork. He modeled communities, lived with disciples, but for three years, he also modeled something else that we need to work on. That's called solitude. We'll throw the scriptures on the screen. I'll just tell you real quick what they are. Luke chapter 6, verse 12, and actually into 13. Jesus went alone by himself to pray. He said he spent all night praying. Because you know why? Because the next morning he got up and he chose his 12 disciples. See, big decisions coming. I'm going to spend time with God. How many of us have to make big decisions each week? How many of us spend time with God before we make those big decisions? Matthew 14, 13 talks about when Jesus went alone to pray. It was right after he got the news about his cousin John the Baptist being beheaded. And so what did he do? He went alone to pray. Matthew 14, 23. He went alone to pray, but then comes all these people. And now he's healing and teaching, feeding 5,000. And so what did he get done after the long day? And he sent his disciples off to the boat. He went alone to pray. It's been a long day. I need to pray. Moments of solitude and prayer. Let me tell you something. In life, a couple things are going to happen to you. You will be praised and you will be ridiculed. It's the high points and low points of our life, okay? You're going to do something great and everybody's going to applaud. Way to go. You did awesome, right? And then there's going to be other times when you are going to struggle and people are going to look at you and say, you're a failure, you blew it. What were you thinking? And you're going to be ridiculed. Now, let me give you those two points, okay? Here's where we've got to find a balance. Because in those moments when you are really excited and when you're really hurt, that is probably the two greatest times when we really need to connect with God so that we don't have to end up eating, end up eating humble pie because we're so proud. Look at me, okay? And because we know we can't be alone down here and hurting, we need God. So in those two key points in time, those are really good times for solitude, to get alone with God. Those are unbalanced moments when you are feeling your highest and lowest and you maintain balance and you maintain your, by bringing back this little solitude and bringing you back, like, it's okay, God. Even though this is awesome, I need to remember it's because of you. God, this really hurts. It's okay because I know you're here. Okay? That time alone with God, that solitude helps bring balance. Mark uh, chapter 1, verse 35 is another time which God said, I'm getting alone to pray. I'm getting alone. 
Psalm 46.10. Let's turn there. You're in Psalm 73. Turn to Psalm 46, a few chapters back. Psalm 46. It's a psalm that everyone knows well. Matter of fact, it should be on the front of your bulletin. Right? Be still, right? Other translations, be silent and know that I am God. I'll be honored in every nation. I'll be honored throughout the world. Let me do something real quick here. Let's just break that verse down real quick, okay? Let me hear you say B. One more time, B. See, that's our problem because we want to be something, so we do stuff, right? Okay? Now, when I talked about that B compared to the earlier saying about we just need to be there, I'm talking about two different things. This B is the, the lie that I'm nothing without achievement. I have to be number one. I have to be the CEO. I have to be the president. I have to be in charge. See, if I don't have that award, that a trophy, I'm no good. I didn't get first place. I didn't get the trophy, so I must stink. Okay? So we're always wanting to be, right? But be what? God says, no, 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 no. That's not about being. Listen, I want you to be, what's the next word? Still. Let me hear you say still. Still is what we're supposed to be, or should, should I say do? Can you make that a one or the other? Stop. Still the action in your life for a moment. When I looked up this word to see what it really means, it means to, to sink down, to relax, to withdraw, to put it in idle, to let it drop. How many times do somebody say, you just got to let that go? You should be still. You should be quiet. Quit trying to be something, but I want you to be still. Be still and what's the next word? No. Let me hear you say no. Do you know God? Do you know his character? Do you know his nature? How much do you know about God? Have you read enough of him through the Bible to say, that's my God? Learn to know about God. Find out about God. Discover God. It's the hide and seek. It's the seek part of hide and seek. When you're playing that game and somebody's hiding, somebody's seeking, you're searching, you're trying to find out where they're at. This is what we're talking about. You want to be still and know, I want to find out more about God. I want to seek Him. Okay? You know Him by experience. Be still and know that I am God. Here comes the relief, the healthy answer. It's God. What did, what did uh, Asaph say in seventy three seventeen? Then I went to your sanctuary, O God. Be still and know that I am God. Solitude is getting still, getting quiet, remembering who God is and seeking Him out. I want to challenge you. That's one thing. Here's the other thing is prayer. We've already talked about that. And, and the, the, here's the thing I want you to do. We obviously understand that it's an essential act of the will that demonstrates our relationship with a mighty God. Okay? That we're really serious about living for God when we, when we dig into prayer. Okay? Without it, we can never connect with God in worship and song or anything. And throughout the New Testament... We have all kinds of things in there. But I don't know if you knew this, but as you look through, just go ahead and help me out this week. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four gospel accounts of Jesus. Just read through it. See if you find the disciples anywhere saying, hey, Jesus, can you teach us to do miracles? Hey, Jesus, can you teach us to heal? Hey, Jesus, can you teach us to toss demons? I believe the only thing you're going to find anytime when you hear the uh, disciples talk to Jesus saying, teach us, it's teach us to pray. This is like the only thing that we find recorded where Jesus was saying, or the disciples were saying, Jesus, can you teach us this? Hmm. Pretty important, then, isn't it? Matthew 26, we have Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. We can learn about that. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, Paul says, don't worry about anything, but instead, what? Pray 
about everything. So this is how we're going to do it. We've got a sign-up sheet on the back for the 24-hour prayer vigil this Friday and Saturday. Again, I'm telling you, you're believers in Christ. You pray. So just sign up to pray, will you? Okay? It's not that difficult. Sign up. Here's what you can pray for. How do I pray for 30 minutes? I'm going to tell you how you're going to pray for 30 minutes. You could pray for 30 minutes just thanking God. You could spend the next day thanking God in prayer. Just thanksgiving alone. Not even confessing, not even giving honor to Him, not even asking for things, just thanking God. But here's your little cheat sheet on how to do it, because that's the first thing. Let's just confess, like we did last week, okay? Imagine meeting the most important person you can think of here on earth. Who is that? Who's that most important person that you can think of on earth, okay? Who is it? Everybody think of that person right now. Who is it that's coming to your house this week in 15 minutes? The guys are thinking, cool. The ladies are thinking, oh no. Why is that? The house is a mess. This has got to get cleaned up. That's rusty. That's, that's, oh, the paint is chipped there and cracked. And, okay. Panic, nervous, right? Okay. They're, they arrive and we what? Because there's no time to fix all that. There's no time to clean up. So the, your guest of honor walks in the house and what do you say? I'm so sorry that this place is a mess. I, I'm, I'm really sorry. We apologize for the mess, right? I didn't have time to clean up, you know. And, and Jesus says, that's why I'm coming to your house. That's why I'm coming in here. You see, I grew up being a carpenter. I would fix things and I would build things. And I want to come into your life because spiritually, I want to fix what's going on in there and clean it up. And I want to build you into something incredible. So we confess. We admit it's cracked. We admit our life is broken. He cleans up. That's just the first part of your prayer time. Then you honor God. Do you just tell God how awesome he is? Call him by name, wonderful counselor. Tell him that he's your shepherd. What does it mean to be a shepherd? That's what he wants to do for you. Ask, what do you need? What are you struggling with? Spill the beans. You know, more people unload their frustrations on social media before they unload it on God, okay? Would you please spill it with God before you spill it with everybody else, okay? I, I would guess that if you went to God first, you wouldn't have to tell the world what's going on. Ask God. He says, bring it. Ask, right? Here's the last thing, Thanksgiving. Express your gratitude. Remember the old hymn, Count Your Blessings? Count your blessings, name them one by one. Oh, couldn't you just do that for the next day, right? Let's do something fun, okay? Now, you're not going to do this. We're going to close on this. Worship team, could you come up, please? Let's do this. Let's imagine you get out a piece of paper right now. Just mentally pull out a piece of paper. Start writing all the things you're thankful for. Just start listing them. Start listing them. What are you thankful for? Just keep, keep writing, keep writing. I'm going to read something. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, making music to the Lord in your hearts. Give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord our Jesus Christ. How's your list looking, by the way? You still writing them? Now, what if tomorrow you only have the things that you thanked God for in the last couple seconds? Anybody thank God for toothpaste? Oh, you didn't? You don't get it tomorrow. Did anybody thank God for air? Oh, good. You get, to breathe. you get to be here tomorrow. Everybody else doesn't, okay? Anyone uh, add things, uh, you know, you can start saying, ooh, I better, uh, I better thank God for my, my spouse, my family. My, I want them here tomorrow, okay? No, seriously, if you didn't put these things down on your thank you list and God says, oh, whatever's not on this, you don't get to have it tomorrow. Ooh, house, clothes, family. You know, you're starting to list all these things now that you're very thankful for, right? Air, good health, 
church family, the Bible? Did your thank you list just expand? Approach your thank you list like that with God and see how that changes how you pray. Solitude and prayer, it's part of what Asaph did in going through his ascent. He went to the sanctuary, talked to God. I want to encourage you this week, find some solitude. Spend time in prayer. Oh, discipleship partners, go ahead and read Mark 8 and 9, okay? And ask each other, hey, you praying on Friday and Saturday? Hold each other accountable to it, okay? When are you praying? Okay, hold each other accountable to that. Solitude and prayer. It's what he did to keep himself on the ascent. It's what Jesus modeled to his disciples. I believe it's what's going to help us draw near in our love to God so that we can do this the right way, loving others. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you, Lord, for being an awesome God. And God, you know, sometimes when I think through uh, things that go on in our life, it doesn't make sense. We see things, we experience things, we say, what is going on? But then we remember, we're going to go meet with you, and we're going to share with you, we're going to get quiet with you. I'm going to ask you to speak to us. Come in and just sort of clean up the house. I'm going to give you honor because you are a mighty God. Lord, we're probably going to ask for things too because we realize we can't do this on our own. So we're going to ask you for help. Lord, we're especially going to show an attitude of gratitude. We're going to say thank you. Because so much that we have, we don't realize it's an incredible blessing from you. So many gifts you've given us. So many freedoms. Thank you, God. Lord, I thank you for this church. We got to come here this morning and just look at an old psalm. Be reminded that sometimes we feel like we're on a descent or we're hitting a turning port or we're on the ascent. We're all on a journey, God. Sometimes the question is, where are we at in that journey and what are we doing to draw near to you so that we can love others? Lord, I just pray now as we close this service with a song that as we sing, we sing with thankful hearts. And I pray, Lord, that we do count our blessings one by one. That page would just go on for a long time. Thank you, God. We love you. In the name we pray. Amen.